The scripture today comes from Revelations chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. And I invite you to stand now for, to honor God's word. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So becomes you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, and realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You may be seated. Can you believe this? Last week, we had a chance to win $1.9 billion. <laughs> I don't know it's, what the billion dollar is like. Have you ever thought about what would it be like if you have a billion, $1.9 million. I'm not even $1.9 billion, Maybe $1 million. Right? How is it like? Wow. But... Would it be a blessing for you or not? Many years ago, my family was struggling financially. One day, when my kids were little, sitting in the back, and my wife and I were driving highway, and then we saw a billboard sign says $260 million for lottery, winning lottery. And I asked my wife, what would it be like if we win that lottery? Just, you know, we're just kind of enjoying in our virtual reality winning $260 million. What would it be like? And my wife says, I'm sure that you will not worry about money anymore, but you will not serve the Lord as a youth pastor anymore, neither. She was right. I thought about it. If I have, if I have a $260 million, right, continue to serve as a youth pastor? Actually, I told her, maybe as a volunteer, I still go to church, but as a volunteer but not as my uh, occupation or my calling. 
She was right. I would not serve as a youth pastor. So I'm here. I'm here. 20 years later, I'm still here. And I know I'm so blessed. I'm truly, I'm, I believe I am blessed. This time, uh, I'd like to sing the song called God Bless America. I'm sure you all know the song, right? God bless her. Let's sing together. God bless America, land that I love, stand beside her and guide her through the in the hymnals, right? It's not. But it is such a beautiful song that we give our thanks to God for being Americans. But today, did God bless America? I mean, do, does God bless America? Or really... Did God bless America? I mean, we just went through election, you know, all about economy. Money, economy, prosperity. But we have dollars. We even produce dollars, U.S. dollars, as much as we want. We never be poor, being Americans. But is dollars, U.S. dollars, God's blessing for America? I wonder if we are blessed and we're supposed to worship like our fathers and mothers and give thanks to God every day. But we know many, many Christians, many American Christians, no longer worship God. But we worship, Americans worship dollars. But Puritans, they worship God in 1600. They had nothing but faith, right? You know, Thanksgiving Day is around the corner. We know, that, we know the Thanksgiving story. Yeah. It's like a beautiful, you know, story. But you know what they've been through. They die on the, in the ocean on the way to America. First year, they die over the winter. 
with disease and hunger and they die. It was not really beautiful, happy story. But Puritans, they worshipped God. What about 1800? The pioneers in the frontier beat the churches in everywhere in such a harsh condition. We know how hard even just traveling back in the days, right? But they built a church every corner. Appalachians, you know, prairies, Rockies, you know, wherever they go, they built a church first. Even though land is not America yet, they built a church. And they worshipped. What about those factory workers, farmers, and, you know, miners in 1900? They were helplessly poor and despairingly struggle in America as Americans. But they love the Lord. They love to share the gospel of the Lord. And they sent the, all the missionaries to all of the world in 1900s. At least over 4,000 American missionaries came to Korea. They changed the whole nation. 4,000. But what about today? America. Is American prosperity blessing or not? Today we'll visit the church in Laodicea the richest city in Roman Empire. They were rich because they were developed in war industry. War. Textile business. So lots of money flowed into Laodicea and they became the center of financial, the banking business as well. They mint coins and all the currencies and all that. And Laodicea was also known for good medicine, especially for eye disease. So a lot of people came to Laodicea to be cured. So today's, if Laodicea is today, it is a combination of New York's Fifth Avenue plus Wall Street. Maybe also with Fort Knox, plus Johns Hopkins Hospital. It was a great place to live for Christians as well. Laodicea is the only city in Roman Empire, no persecution. Perfect, right? We went through all seven churches last, you know, six weeks. And then we, we, we learned that all the persecution each you know, cities, Philadelphia, Ephesus, and all those, you know, cities. There was no persecution on church in Laodicea. But it turned out as a, not a good place for Christians. Eugene Peterson said, as the years went by, a terrible thing happened to the Christians of Laodicea. 
they became more influenced by their affluent culture than by the cross. They became consumers. They began to treat Christ as a consumer item. They invested in religion the way they invested in the financial market. They shopped for religion the way they shopped for clothes. They used religion the way they used medicine. They treated Christ with the core calculation of consumers. Consumers. Already the money became their God. And they treat God, Christ, as a consumer orientation. We know consumer-oriented Christians create consumer-oriented church. People not following Christ, but Christ follows people. People go to church to be served. I mean, no. People go to church to be served, right? To be served, not to serve. They want to buy gospel as they want. So they can change the even scripture. But they don't want to sell gospel as it is. They don't want to witness gospel to other people. So Jesus introduced himself to them as the words of the Amen. Because Jesus lived to do the will of God. Because the meaning of Amen is realizing the word of God. And Jesus said, he is faithful, true witness. Because by Amen life, his life, witnessing the living God. He's just, his presence, his being, who he is, by his character, he is witnessing God. And he also said he is the beginning of God's creation. Means nothing exists without Christ. It means Jesus relates himself to everyone, every being. So he died for everyone. He relates to you, 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 each one of you, everyone. So he had to die for everyone. So Isaiah described Christ as, Surely he took up our pain, bore our suffering, yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. That is Amen life. But Raudisian Christian did not live Amen life. Jesus said, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were idle or cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Friends, Christian must be hot for the zeal of God. Passion for Christ. 
But sometimes we have to be ice cold in discerning, in assessment of our situation. Even when we interpret the Bible, we have to ice cold. But they were not either hot nor cold. They were betwixt and between. Maybe Laodicean Christian thought, well, mediocre, you know, betwixt and between, that's fine. You know, I'm not too bad, I'm not too good, but I'm not too bad. I'm good, they thought. But Jesus rebuked them. Jesus rebuked them. Not by flagrant sin or horrible heresy or sexual immorality like other churches did. They were rebuked for their insipidity. Their face are their, their, their face is like tasteless tepidity. What about our faith today? When lukewarmness seems the characteristic of American church, American Christians, what about our faith? Today, many churches, many Christians lost its ways. Why? Why? I believe the biggest reason is they are in the middle of nowhere. Christians don't know where they are. It is a problem. Our problem is a problem of a placeness. Christians are supposed to be where Christ wants us to be. Christians must go where Christ sends us to go. But they don't want to go. I'm not just talking about be there in church on Sunday or in the Bible study or join the mission trip or feeding people at city gate. I'm not talking about that. We have to be in our reality, my reality. Not virtual reality, but reality, my reality. What is your reality? Jesus wants us to be sometimes being poor. Financially struggle. Jesus wants us to be in the yard. Like me last week. Jesus wants us to go to chemotherapy sometime. Jesus wants us to be there in the broken relationship sometime. Jesus wants us to be rejected sometime. Jesus wants us to be uncertain sometime. But we don't want to be there. If we want to be there, if we don't want to be there, then we don't meet God there. We don't want to, we, we're not going to meet real God. Then we don't worship. We are in church, we are even in worship, even I'm preaching, even you sing in the choir, praise Him, but you are not worshiping. Without encountering God. Where does God want you to be? Would you go there? Jesus said, 
So Jesus said, For you say, I am rich, I am prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. By the way, for some people not know, I am American citizen. I became citizen five years ago. I am American. <laughs> so I can say that. Outwardly, Americans are rich and powerful. Some say the whole world against us, we can defeat them. Our military power can defeat them. Whole world against us, we can defeat them. That's how powerful we are. I mean, prosperity-wise, we are quarter of entire global wealth. Quarter. One nation is quarter of entire world wealth. Outwardly, Americans are rich and powerful, but inwardly, we are poor and weak. We know our problem. We know our shame. Where all the money goes in America, we know that. Because the people, more and more people, pursue after satisfaction, which never be, will be fulfilled, because it is the eternal deficiency caused by the original sin. Only God can fulfill us. Only God can satisfy that deficiency, which was Jesus Christ, the cross, the gospel. But people now following that. Eugene Peterson said, The plain fact is that a person cannot live without God. But to live with God means to be God-dominated. God-dominated. Are we dominated by God? Jesus strips from Laodicean Christians the illusion of prosperity and counseled them have acquired three things. First, refined gold. How can we buy refined gold from Jesus? It is our struggle. Refinement needs the scorching heat, excessive heat, that heat coming from our struggle, our challenges, our despair, our calamities. That's our heat. And we Endure that, then we will have the pure goal. And what is the pure goal? That is the class of Christ. I mean, you've been through, you know, some of you veterans have been through like a boot camp, right? The first six weeks or, you know, four weeks. Right? Remember that? You still remember that. 40, 50 years, you still remember that. They treat you like a Nothing. But you endure that. Then you became soldier. Not everyone becoming soldier without that boot camp. That is a class of a Christ. If we honestly, faithfully go through our scorching heat of us challenging. But many people deny that. I don't know. I, I don't want that. And Jesus also wants us to have 
white clothes. That is, that is the purity of our heart. How we can purify our heart. I mean, Laodicean is because it's, you know, New York's Fifth Avenue, so they've been wearing all the you know, great clothing, dress. But in the eyes of Jesus, they were naked and they were, their clothing was you know, horrible, dirty. With their sin. So white clothes, white garment means we purify our cleansing our clothing by repenting, by forgiveness of God. So we have to self-transcend. Forgiveness means self-transcend. Look at ourselves. Self-examine ourselves. And then we overcome, transcend that. That's repentance. It's not for, is it just for us? No. We have have a responsibility for other people. So we transcend ourselves first. Then we look at other people and we have to mourn for their suffering, their sin, their brokenness. And help them, feed them, guide them, and walk with them, suffer with them. So they can transcend their brokenness. It is we call empathy. Suffering together in them. In them. Empathy. Church needs empathy. No sympathy. Empathy we need. Do we mourn for people of Ephrata? Do you mourn for people in your neighborhood? Do you mourn for people in your workplace? If we don't, Jesus will come and knock on the door. So Jesus said, listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. Jesus came into our lives already. We know that. But we have to persistently, we have to have this fellowship with Jesus Christ because we are in, confined in this, you know, small cell. So we have to keep breaking the cell wall and open the door. If we don't open, sometimes God opens. Make a crack by calamity, by something terrible thing happen. Make a crack. Through the crack, they see the light. But there's a much easier way. We have just opened the door from inside. You see, there's no door knob outside. Jesus is waiting and waiting and waiting. And we have to open the door and let him in. And we have fellowship with him. 
and we receive all the refined gold and white clothes and you know salve. So this salve we need anoint our eyes to see my sin and others' sin. But some people said, well, Pastor, I don't have a really big problem in my life. My life's just going well. I think God blessed me. You know, I go to church every Sunday, you know. I give my tithe, you know. I'm doing well, so I'm, I'm problem-free. You know, like sometimes I feel like a doctor. You know, I had my stone for 10 years, but I haven't gone to doctor regularly and checked my stone. And what happened to me? I mean, we always, doctor, you know, when you visit doctor, you, doctor asking you all those things. But, well, I'm okay, I'm okay. You know, I'm exercise, I, you know, eat healthy, I'm exercise, I'm good, you know, I'm good. They don't want to confess their, their, the reality. Same thing as a pastor, and I'm asking people, you know, how you doing? Do you have any challenges? Do you have anything I have, you know, I can help with you? Do you something that you want to share with me? Something that I want to pray with you? I can pray for you. Something I can help you. But usually people say, Pastor, it's okay. Just pray for me. It's really sometimes discouraging me. I want to involve more personally, more involved going into your life. People don't want. But let me tell you if your life is okay, it's not good. Because the gruesome fact is about our calamities and trials, and they are not the judgment of God. The true judgment of God is God leave us alone. Paul says, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do not ought, to, ought not to be done. Just leave us alone. Freedom. It's not freedom. We find true freedom in the confinement of God. Amen. I mean, we have a freedom. You have a freedom. But can you, can you distinguish you have a freedom? But think about it. If we don't have a Navy, Army, Air Force, do you think we can have a freedom? You will realize. We don't feel that who, who gives us freedom, but we have a freedom. The same thing. When we are in the presence of God, we have a freedom. But we like to have a more certain freedom, more vivid freedom. So we turn to money. We invest our money. There's no freedom there. I mean, why those Puritans and those, uh, you know, early, you know, 1800 Christians were better than us? No. Because they could not just satisfy with their status quo. There was no status quo. They had to face challenge every day. 
and farming, and then you had to, you know, lift your rifle, protect your family, right? Back in the days. Ongoing challenges made them to be faithful to God. They want to be confined in the presence of God. So they had a freedom. They worshiped God. They knew they are helpless without God. But we now, we think, oh, well, no, I, I think I'm fine, you know, without God. So, let me tell you, I couldn't find the word, you know, the word dodges, like L.A. dodges. Dodges are, they're like a dodging, you know, things, right? I don't know why they named Dodgers as a baseball player. But what's different? What's the opposite? What's the antonym of Dodgers? We are not Dodgers. We are not dodging the struggle like a pain or sickness or, you know, financial difficulty. We are not dodging. We're, we're, we're seeking trouble. We're trouble seekers. Trouble finder, because where trouble is, where hunger is, where loneliness is, where sorrow is, Jesus is there. We have to be there. That's the problem of a placeness. Christianity, American Christianity is a problem of placeness. We have to be there. So we are not dodgers. We are seekers. Where is troubled people in, your, in our community? Who is the lonely person, sorrowful person, rejected person, margined pe- person, people in your neighborhood or in your class or in your workplace? We have to find them and we have to be with them. You know, the true religion promising be with us. God, Emmanuel, be with us. But false religion promising, remove our problems. God is not removing our problems. God is with us. Walk with us. Suffer with us. Don't be surprised because you're Christian and why all these bad things happen to me. Don't be surprised. God is with us. Friends, church in Ephrathah, Christianity is living amen to God's will so we can sing hallelujah. We must be hallelujah alive, praise the Lord alive. But when we sing, when we living amen, Living Amen means we are there where Christ wants us to be there. We go there where Christ wants us to go there. Then we sing hallelujah. And that is the glory of God, friends. You know, here's the the, the I don't here's the the big truth. Even you fail. If I fail, if we fail, God wins. God wins. Even Philly lose, God wins. No matter what my loss, 
God gained. That is proof of uh, the Christianity. That's our faith. Don't be discouraged. You lose. You lose. I will lose. But God wins. Amen.